Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders Anonymous, episode 43. This is Aaron. And this is Shannon. And we are here to discuss all things that are wonderful about books. Well, wonderful and maybe not so wonderful. Uh, I have a couple of books that I've read that were, one at least, that was horrible. Uh, but we will get to that at some point. Uh, my reads, anyway. And we also have questions that we ask the listeners and uh, the book of the month homework to talk about. But before we talk about the book of the month and get into what we've read, uh, let's go with the question we asked the listeners first, which was, what, uh, how many books can you read by a certain author before you really shut down? And we did have an answer to the question. Kathy has answered us very promptly. And yay, she says, yay, that she can usually read everything that an author has written if she really likes that author, basically. Uh, she loves Pat Conroy. She's very sad that he got diagnosed with cancer and that he may not write very many more books. And then when she gets a series of books, she finishes it just to say that she finished it. Like she read the entire thing. Oh, you are a better person than I am, yeah, Kathy. I, I know, I know. Although she's wonder, having she's having too. issues with the Alex Cross series because she says there is not they're much less well written than they used to be, which I would agree. But she just loves his grandmother, so she thinks she'll continue to finish it anyway, just because of the grandma. Sure. <laughs> I I wonder too if it's easier to write to read authors like Pat Conroy where they're not writing like number one of the the Prince of Tide series or whatever, <laughs> you know, like they're each a standalone book. I mean, I think he's got like some sequels in there somewhere, but I don't like mostly they're all their own thing. Right. Whereas like, you know, the Alex Cross books or like whatever, like in my, the instance I said last month with those like trashy YA books <laughs> I read where it's all, you know, the same, like 10 books of the same like genre <laughs> you know, and they're all kind of like, you know, a mystery. You pretty much know where all those story beats are going to come from. And so, right. you know, maybe you, maybe it's a little harder in those cases because you, like, if something annoys you about how that book is written. Yeah, that's true. And, and in some cases, like, people really like the formulaic mystery books, especially if you want brain candy, and you can just rip through them, like, oh my god, this is such a wonderful escape, and I don't need to think, I don't need to worry, I can just, you know, plow right through it, and it's, it's like this formula, and they're going to go through the formula, and I just, you know, don't even have to think about it, I can just read it, not worry. Um, my neighbor's like that, she loves Danielle Steele, and she, that's the reason that she likes Danielle Steele so much, is because her books are very, um, you know, they're romances. They're very positive. It's like fluffy cotton candy for her. And they all have yep. this formula. And she just likes, to, she just loves it. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it too. And there are some books where you just keep wanting to read because you get attached to the characters, like Kathy said. Um, yeah. And, and you want to know what happens with this character, and you just love the character. Even if they don't really develop much as characters, uh, they're always, you know, they're around, and even if they're not the protagonist, rather. Um, they're always around, and they're kind of like your rock through the whole series. I know the Kinsey Milhone books. I... I love them. I have not gotten up to the 24th one, which is X, yet. I think I'm on the O book, which is number 15. Uh, and I think those books, I my limit is reading like five at a time, and then I have to stop. But yeah. I have read five at a time before, because was, there was a period where I just didn't really want to read anything else, and I didn't really have anything pressing uh, to, to that, like, oh my God, I have to read it. So I read them, and I really loved her neighbor, Henry. She's like, she's his tenant. Uh, and he, in a lot of cases, is like her conscience. I think that's the purpose of him in the books. So she talks to him about what's going on with her and, you know, what to do. And he kind of, he just, he's not very judgmental. He just kind of listens and gives her, you know, these little nuggets of wisdom that she can take or leave. And it's just like a, you know, sort of like, her conscience, I guess that's what he represents. Yeah. And I always like him for, for that reason. Um, so anyway, yeah, Kathy, I think I understand where you're coming from with all that and uh, fully appreciate that. We will get to the question for the next month. Uh, well, I can just say it now and then say it again at the end. The question for next month is, are you in a book club? And if so, why or why not? In other words, what do you like or not like about book clubs? I mean, you know, if you're in them, are they great? Do you love them? If you're not in them, do you want to be in one? Or do you, are you just perfectly fine reading on your own? Um, I, for my part, really enjoy being in a book club. Um, it's fun to have like a social gathering where you can meet other people and talk about books. Sometimes, depending on the book club, though, the book can feel more like an assignment than a, <laughs> a book. <laughs> Um, and in an attempt to organize the book club, sometimes it feels more like you've got assignments than, than books. And it just depends on the people in the book club and the books that you choose. And um, I, you know, I've, I've been in book clubs before that were wonderful, that were really unorganized. And everyone seemed to know each other. And I was like the odd person out. That's a con for me with, with book clubs. Um, mm -hmm. They were all teachers, and they all taught at the same university, and every time they got together, it was like they were talking shop, and there, there was another woman who was in the same boat I was in, and we both dropped out because it was just like, you know, they're talking, there's shop talk most of the time, and it was very hard to fit in to that group of people. Yeah, I've had similar experiences with that. There was a group I went to for a while when I first moved to Seattle that was reading young adult books. And I mean, like it, w the thing was that it, it was a book club that was organized by a, a blog that was national in scope. So like we, the Seattle version was just one version of that group. And it was a perfectly nice group of people, but I just didn't feel like I, I like I clicked with them. And um, like then there were a couple months mm -hmm. where they were reading graphic novels, and mm -hmm. I just never came back because I clearly was not going to read graphic novels. <laughs> and so, you know that that was like I just didn't feel like I, I clicked with the people. Um, I'm involved with, and then I got 
through work, I've been involved in, in a book club, the other reader's advisor at the, the library where I work and I, we, we go to it. It's the low vision book club that the Seattle public library puts on. And, um, so one month he goes and then the next month I go. And, um, so it, it's not that much of a time commitment, really. It's like reading a book every two months. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, I like it. It's very well organized. The person that facilitates it always has really good questions and she keeps it on topic. And so like there's time for socializing at the beginning and then some people go have lunch afterwards. Although I quit doing that because, um, I had to go back to work, (laughs) but, um, I, I enjoyed the, that aspect of it, like from, for the hour that, that she committed for us to be discussing the book, um, we discussed it. And it, I think that, that the con that I typically run into with, with book clubs, like besides not, like not really clicking with the people in there, um, is that like, if there are months where, where we're reading, like several books in a row that just do not appeal to me at all. It does feel like homework. Mm-hmm. And um, like I ended up being really, and I'll talk about this more when I talk about what I read, but um, like the last couple of book clubs that, that I went to for, with the low vision club book club, they were reading books. I just had very little interest in. <laughs> and um, in both cases, I liked them better than I thought I did, but it, there was still that like, Ugh, of all the things that yeah. I could be doing in my spare time. I'm reading this I am crap. reading homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that experience. Um, I'll, I guess I'll start off talking about what I read so we can kind of switch voices a yeah, little bit. Yeah, let's segue. <laughs> yeah, but I had that experience too. And, and my, my first read that I want to talk about is actually a reread. Our neighborhood book club was reading... Um, Frankenstein by Mary Bish Shelley and I actually did read it it felt like homework but I the last time that I had read it was in high school and I remember not really reading it I I skimmed over large parts of it when I was in high school in Mm -hmm. other words I read it just to take the test right so um this time I actually did read it and finish it and it was a slog but I did it and then the book club meeting was canceled because no one read it and no one wanted to host a meeting about it and so I was just really 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 super ticked off right uh and so now the next book that they're reading is some kind of book about some guy going to some college he really didn't feel he was cut out for or something I don't know I I'm just really not interested in reading it and it feels like homework I don't even remember what it's called but I don't think I'm gonna go because I'm trying out other book clubs that I've been intre- that I've found on Meetup, and I've got you know like two books to read for that, and I think that's my limit. So uh, the second book I read was actually a nonfiction read for the month, um, and it was for a Meetup group that I uh, attended on a whim. It was called uh, "The Power of Myth" by Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers. Uh, and basically, this was just a rendition of the PBS show. It was basically their conversations written down in a book. 
because for any of you who don't know, there's a PBS documentary called The Power of Myth. It's from the 1980s. Uh, and Bill Moyers, who was a journalist, recorded a bunch of interviews with Joseph Campbell before he died in like, 1984 or 1985 or whenever it was. And uh, then he produced this documentary for PBS. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I think, I actually... Uh, teacher that we had showed us part of the documentary uh several parts actually and i always told myself that someday i was going to read the book well there was a meetup group that was reading the book and so i thought yay this will force me to read it because i thought that it was going to be a slog um it was actually fascinating and i'm really glad that i sat down and took the time to read it and i also got to meet some really nice people in this meetup group um as an, you know, alongside that. Uh, and and I, I was, very, was very impressed with Joseph Campbell's knowledge and his um, understanding of the sort of like the mythologies of different cultures, both in the East and the West. Uh, and so um, it was a really fun nonfiction read. So not all nonfiction is a slog. The next book that I read is the book that I thought was horrible. And for the life of me, I cannot think of the author of this book. It was a Kindle book that I, thank God, got for free. I would not pay money for this book to save my life. Um, I thought, I mean, I knew it was going to be a young adult book and it was going to be sort of like brain candy, but I had no idea that it was going to be this poorly written. I mean, you know, if you're going to be brain candy, at least be somewhat well-written. <laughs> literate brain candy. Yeah, literate yes. brain candy. Um, and so the book itself was called How to Date Dead Guys. I mean, seriously, that's the title of the book. Uh, and apparently it's part of a series. I cannot remember the author's name. It's a woman. I'll put it in the show notes um, because I just, ugh. I actually abandoned the book. I was reading it on my Braille display and I was probably about 25%, maybe 50% through and just realized that it was not for me. Uh, apparently the premise is Emma, who's a sort of gawky college student, starts dating this guy and he falls into the river and drowns. And she uh, apparently a little bit later on can see him as a ghost in the river and she figures out that she's, a, you know, she, she tries to become a witch so that she can communicate with him. And I don't know, it was so weird. And it was so poorly written. Um, so... Anyway, I abandoned that one. The last book I want to talk about is called The Acolyte by Nick Cutter. And it was a very disturbing, truly horrifying look at what our future could possibly be like if we're not careful. Um, it was written in 2015. And so at that time, and, and still now, the fear of those who are... Islamic is, you know, or was really high, and again, still is. And so the author took, you know, that and made this into a book that was filled with so much hate that I almost couldn't finish it. Uh, okay, so it's lots of, you know, several years in the future. There is no exact date given. I'm not sure if this even takes place in America. It's kind of like a generic country, an English-speaking country. 
And it doesn't specifically say America. So, you know, we're just going to go with wherever this is, either America or Great Britain or somewhere that they speak English. Uh, They are now a republic based on this crazy-ass version of Christianity that mingles weird parts of the Old Testament with equally weird parts of the New Testament. And beyond that, I can't really say it doesn't really have a, the religion doesn't really have a title it's just the faith of the republic so which is not a republic so the the way it is each city is pretty isolated from the other cities um and each city is run by its own prophet uh there is a city that's kind of overseeing the whole republic um it's called like king city or something but our main character jonah lives in new bethlehem uh, and New Bethlehem has a prophet. And this is all about covering corruption in the Republic regime. He, you know, Jonah's an acolyte. He seeks to enforce order and weed out heretics, essentially, and, ex- and expose them to brutal torture and execution, or at least take them to places where they will be brutally tortured and executed. Um, his mother, for instance, is a heretic, and they don't really kill all heretics. Some of them, if they feel like they can stay around and stay alive, they give them uh, the cure, which basically they remove portions of their brain where the heretical thoughts are supposed to reside, and then they're very damaged afterwards. Uh, Jonah, you know, throughout the book, tries, he, he discovers that he has too much kindness inside him for this life anymore, essentially. Um, he tries to save these various animals that he finds along the way like a a bird and a frog and then he starts to try and save various people that are close to him like a fellow acolyte named Angela uh, and his mother and an Islamic girl named Amira who lives in the Islamic ghetto. There's also a Jewish ghetto incidentally but if you're not Christian you're kind of marginalized. You can work in the city but your rights are very limited. Um, And Nick I'm sorry, Jonah falls in with these other people who seek to overthrow the Republic. But he's really not that crazy about this group because they are filled with just as much hate as those in the Republic are are towards anybody else who's different. And so they're filled with so much hate for the Republic that he's not really crazy about them either. Uh, The book, let's just say, uh, martyrs are not only found in Islam anymore. Uh, it ends horribly and very unhappily. I was, it was a hard read. It really was um, because everyone is just so hateful towards one another. And it seems like in this world, there's no room for kindness, charity, or love. Uh, It doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) Uh, And I, I found it very difficult. I was very ambivalent about it while I was reading it. And this ambivalence has continued until after I read it. Um, I, foresee that if we continue on our current path of fear as a nation and a world being afraid of one another that this could be a very easy future to fall into not not with all the freaks like circus freaks i mean they they genetically mutate people to serve the republic and they're they've got all these weird things wrong with them it's kind of creepy uh not with the genetic mutations and you know exactly the same kind of world but i can just see this similar future unfolding before us if we're not careful so i did take that away from the book but it and it was a very haunting experience apparently his other books are kind of similar and if you really don't things that are really gross disturb you like uh violence and blood and gore uh stay away that 
type of thing doesn't really bother me. So I wasn't really that put off by it. But if, if those kind of things disturb you, then these aren't the books for you. Um, so anyway, that was my very unsettling read for the month. Uh, and this left me very, well, unsettled for lack of a better word. Uh, how about you? What was, what did you read this month? Okay. Well, I read, (laughs) um, I read a variety of things. Um, my book club read, our group read um, Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Mm-hmm. And I was super not into this book. Um, <laughs> well, like before I started it, um, mm-hmm. it w- because it is about a t- teenage black girl who is pregnant in Mississippi in 2000. Five or 2006 when Hurricane Katrina um, devastated the region. And so I thought that wow. the book was going to be really, um, really, like, depressing. Uh-huh. And um, it wasn't. It was actually, it turned out to be a really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, the family is all... Like the dad's a bit there. The family is is very poor, and the, it's a rural mm-hmm. kind of poverty. And and the dad's kind of a drunk, and he's very concerned about like tropical storms and being prepared for them. And like his kids have their own stuff going on, and um, so there's, but they all kind of come together at the end, and and there's like despite all this the squalor, it's definitely a an uplifting book because it talks a lot. Talks a lot about family love and how it may not be very um, like these. These people are a little dysfunctional, but when the, when it counts, they're really um, into each other and they they really care for each other. And um, there's this major part of the book where there's a dog, and I Aww. like when I first encountered the dog, I was like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen to that dog by the mm. end of the book. Mm-hmm. And um, I I will just spoil it for you and say that in my opinion the dog does not end up dead. <laughs> <laughs> in your opinion, there you go. Well, it's left it's left sort of ambiguous, but it did mm-hmm. not actually like kill the dog in a moment of like extreme pathos, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, salvage the bones was very good. Um, let's see, I read. Uh, I've been reading the first couple of books in the Vlad Taltos books by Stephen Bruce. They're epic fantasy. I was I've been wanting to read some some more epic fantasy for a while because I you know I read a lot of romance this year and I was like oh, I should read other other things too. What's the first um, one in that series called? Huh? What's the first one in that series called? The the first one is called Jereg. It's spelled J H E R E G, and that's the one I finished. Um, mm-hmm. and it, and I, I had, it's very, sh- they're short for fantasy novels. I think, I think like the first book is something like eight hours and 40 minutes long. Oh. And the second one is like six hours and 40 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's about an assassin who is human and he's lives among this group of people called the Dragarans who are, um, not human. They're, they don't really seem to have much of an equivalent of like any other fantasy races that I can think of, but, um. You know, he's, he's like, this this human guy, is Vlad Taltos, is kind of a scrappy little guy who's who's trying to, um, he, he gets 
hired to to kill this guy and she's given a lot of money to do it in the first book and so after a while the implication becomes like if he doesn't kill this guy um then there then potentially like something something worse could happen that might like destroy the whole empire or whatever so it was it's not very it it makes it sound a lot darker than it is but Mm -hmm. the book is definitely that like kind of um you know like little slightly snarky uh you know lighthearted tone to it and like he's he's an assassin but he's not like it's it's they're not particularly violent books and like i said i'd been i i tried to read a couple of other epic fantasy books because i really wanted to and and i couldn't get through any of any of them um so i was really glad to find this one and i i really like it i'm and now i'm reading the second one in the series so oh, cool Jureg by Stephen Bruce um and then let's see i i read I think my favorite romance thing that I've read this past month was something I'd had on my TBR list for a long time. It was called Hidden Talents, and the author is Emma Holly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is about... It, the, the premise is, like, something that you see a lot in paranormal romance and urban fantasy, where it's this town that's kind of, like, hidden from the rest of the world, and you, you live there if you are magical of, in some way or another and the the heroine of the book is like ends up stumbling into town because she's looking for this guy that um was torturing her friends Mm. who is very clearly evil and she has lots of power of her own and that she has to kind of come into and then she ends up with befriending this very um like one of the policemen who's a werewolf there were definitely characters that um I felt like they probably had their own much more fascinating stories going on that we weren't being told about that might get revealed in future books. Oh. And um, it's very, there's a lot of sex. So if that's a thing that bothers <laughs> you, then, you know, maybe you skip this one. It's on Kindle. And I think it's pretty reasonably priced, too. I think it was only like $2.99, $3.99, something like that. So um, pretty cheap. And then the last book I'll talk about um was I read uh, a book called uh, Valley of the Moon by Melanie Gideon, and I would not recommend getting this on Kindle. I really hope that that like she makes a lot of of money off of this so that she can get get audiobook rights because I looked at the Kindle price for that and it was thirteen ninety nine. Whoa! Um, but I I've been doing some some reviewing for a blog that I that I write for, so they were able to get me that book for zero dollars there you go <laughs> um <laughs> and that one is it was fun it was kind of a combination of of like brigadoon and um the lake house that movie with with keanu reeves and I think oh yeah Sandra Bullock. Uh-huh. um because this this woman is camping in a park and in, in in the valley of the moon state park in california and then she sees this fog and if she and she goes through the fog and she ends up in this little town um it's a, it's more like it's not really a town it's kind of like a big working farm that is like stuck in the the beginning of the 21st century it's like the beginning of 1906 which is like when the great big famous big San Francisco earthquake happened mm-hmm. um so 
and she find like she really finds that these people like have a simpler life and she's really kind of drawn to them because they don't you know like they there aren't like all these ex- expectations of her you know that she has in her her regular life where she is where it's 1965 i believe and she is a single mother who got knocked up and mm-hmm. then the the father of her baby not only is he black um but also he was a soldier in Vietnam so he died and uh-huh. so you know like there's nobody to help her but but you know like her and she's got a very like strained relationship with her family and so like over the course of of the next several decades she ends up finding she ends up going back to this place because she kind of sees it as a bit of a a sanctuary for herself and then of course like that causes problems in her life and like the present day and there's like there's one particular moment where she um like ends up accidentally like the time moves differently so it's not always like you know a month passes in the 1906 time and then she steps out of the the fog back to her own time and all it's a year and a half later mm-hmm. so like that stuff complicates things and of course there's um there is like a, a romance element in it and where she falls in love with one of the, with one of the, the men from this like 1906 town and mm. like, how are they going to stay together? And, and it, it ended up being like, it's not a romance necessarily because that's not the point of the book, but it was, it was, I guess I call it women's fiction because it's more about like her, the Lux is the character's name. It's more about her journey through like, kind of like at the beginning of the book she's a bit of a screw up you know like she here she's done this thing where she's like she's got this son that she adores but you know like people mm-hmm. are not particularly understanding about that right and you know she doesn't have a whole lot of support she's got some she's got some friends but you know it, it's like you know mm-hmm. she's got the kids so she works as a waitress and of course you know if the kid's sick and she shows up late to work and yeah. <laughs> you know her boss isn't happy, right. that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, then gradually she kind of, like, you know, the, she's challenged, especially by these people in the 1906 town. Like, well, <laughs> like, why can't you make something of yourself? You know, like, you just, you did have this kid, but, you know, he's getting older and, like, what do you want to do? And, you know, so a lot of the book is about her kind of finding finding out Mm-hmm. what what she's good at and kind of trying to be like I, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for but like trying to be like a better um trying more to fulfilled person fulfill, than she was. You know, herself go, go with her strengths and get confident yeah yeah that. yeah that's awesome so it's, okay it's called the valley of so, the moon and I hope that they it, the author is Melanie Gideon and mm-hmm. I I I hope that Bookshare gets it soon or that it becomes available on audio. So where is the review so we book. can uh, send me a link to the review so we can I will I will send it. it. I don't think it's been posted yet. Okay. Well But I will put a link I I will I will um give a link and, at the end of the show what, where I'm what writing. What blog is it? Huh? What's the blog? We'll go that way. The then. blog is called The Good, The Bad and the Unread. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> And they review they review primarily romance novels, mm-hmm. um, but you know since nobody is surprised that that's what I read a lot of anyway, <laughs> it's a good fit for me. All right, let's talk about the news news items for this episode. Uh, speaking of traveling in time, 
We actually don't have news about traveling in time, but we do have news that a rare letter from the author and world traveler Mary Montague from the 1700s is up for auction. Uh, This letter deals with her adventures in Turkey. Mary Montague is very unusual. She was a travel writer from the 1700s, from Great Britain, I believe. And she traveled all over the world and uh, wrote about her travels. Now, this isn't unusual now for somebody to do that, but it was unusual for a woman of the time to be... uh, in that kind of position. So I, I think she did have a lot of money and a lot of privilege, and she used that to go exploring. Uh, so this rare letter is up for sale. No word on how much it is, was sold for yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, for those people who like to collect, if that's your thing, you can read more about that in The Guardian, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. The next story I wanted to talk about, it really doesn't relate at all, but speaking of someone who wrote about places far away. Yeah, really not a good segue. There is an ex-Navy SEAL who is uh, having to pay the federal government $6.6 million. And they're using all of his book royalties and movie royalties from this book that he wrote about capturing and killing Osama bin Laden to uh, get that money back. Now, the reason that they want the money back is not that he wrote the book, but that when he wrote the book, he kind of, sort of, forgot to get uh, the Navy, to, to ask the Navy for permission to include excerpts from certain documents. Uh, oh, oops. oops. Uh, his bad. Now, he has written a second book, and he did get go through all the proper channels for that one. Uh, I think possibly what happened, because I have been sort of watching this story over the past couple of years, is that he didn't know. I mean, you know, it was his first experience writing a book. He wasn't sure what he had to do, who he had to ask, if there was indeed, uh, you know, some kind of disclosure, non-disclosure agreement that he needed to sign, uh, all this kind of stuff. But that's just not good enough. So just not knowing about it or not finding out about it is not good enough. Uh, Apparently, you know, where the federal government's concerned. So he has to pay back the money that he earned from that book. Uh, thirdly, speaking of books, J.K. Rowling is going to start writing ebooks about various other characters in the Potter universe. That um, could be really exciting. Yeah, these are coming out. They're going to be available on Pottermore. No word about whether they're going to be available like on Amazon Kindle or anything else like that. Yeah, and I, I hope that she does that. Like, she, she released the script for the play, The Cursed Child, late in July. Well, I guess it was mid-July to come out. Yeah, d- July 31st. Yeah, late July. Oh, late July. I was right. Um, you were right. <laughs> and she released that. Um, and it reception has been kind of mixed from what I can see on, on Twitter. People were thinking it was going to be a book, and they were kind of surprised but that it was a play. They felt yeah. a little let down. It- it's been a it's been an issue we've had to deal with at the library because mm-hmm. a lot of people have been requesting it, and um, I think that the odds are that that NLS is not going to produce it because it is a play. Now, what I would, what I'm wondering is if Audible is going to make a cast production of it because they do that with some they do plays. I and think things. that would be I, that like, would be can, awesome. The legal issues aren't too horrible. It would be nice if they would. Yeah, I. I and I, I know nothing about that. <laughs> uh, 
because um, entertainment law is just not my thing. But they have made cast productions, and, and the issue is probably, the problem would seem to be that in, in a lot of the cast productions that they've made, they've made changes. Like, the, the thing that is written for the production that Audible makes is actually different from the book itself. Um, right. They make it, in, in, in a sense, kind of like a radio drama, like Ender's Game. Um, Ender's Game was a book, and they turned it into like this dramatic, well, audio production. I mean, I would say radio drama, but I'm, you know, kind of old school. Uh, and, you know, dramatic audio production, which I think I have somewhere. If I don't have the whole thing, I have part of it. It was free on Audible at one point. Uh, but I don't know if they've really, if they've been able to do that with any plays that are not in the public domain. Uh, and so we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But that would be awesome because if they did that, then Bard could just get, the, you know, if they had yeah. the deal with Hachette, which is, I think, where the Potter book, that uh, with J.K. Rowling's publisher, um, to get uh, the uh, audio rights to that you know, to, to give it to our patrons, the patrons of NLS. And certainly I would think that they would, that they would be able to get the eBooks, um, yeah. even if they couldn't like, you know, if they, if they couldn't mm-hmm. get them narrated by, if, if Audible's not doing them, then certainly I would right. think that NLS could get and, one of their people to read Right. The and NLS, I mean, they have, they do have plays on, on NLS. Yeah. Yeah, they so, do. So, you know. It's not out of the questions. Uh, one more story that I want to mention. We have a few more, uh, but I, you know, they're just a few little things. But um, there is a book coming out by Bill Brown. And basically, the book is about uh, a future sort of apocalyptic event that occurs. And in the midst of that, this kid, I guess he's a kid, I'm not sure, finds out that he has the ability to talk to the animals in the London Zoo. And they all want out. Um, and want to be free. And and this just sounds like so much fun that when it comes out, I really want to read it. That does sound like fun. <laughs> just like, the book is called Night of the Animals, and it is out in hardcover right now. I'm not sure if it's out on Audible or uh, in Kindle, and probably not on Bookshare yet. But um, if it's not out, it's coming out soon in hardcover. And I just think that that sounds like tremendous fun. And, and in the midst of, you know, all this darkness and, and, and calamity... Um, that all these animals went out. It made me think of Edgar Rice Burroughs and his uh, The Lost Continent novel, which nobody ever talks about or mentions. Like, they always mention his Martian Chronicles stuff. Um, but this novel was a very dark look at what Europe would be like in the future. Uh, and it was kind of crazy, and very sort of implausible, like most of the stuff that he wrote. Um, but I thought it was fun because the animals in the zoo got out and they overran England. And there's like lions and tigers running around and, and elephants running around. And this guy gets like plunked down in the midst of it. And he's like, what the heck is this lion doing? Uh, like, <laughs> where are these animals coming from? Uh, and basically what they thought happened was that they escaped from the zoo uh, something happened in, in England that killed off all the people, or most of the people, and they figured that a lot of these animals just kind of escaped. And so it reminded me, of, it reminds me kind of of that, but probably more, uh, probably better put together and much better written. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to reading it. I had, I, I stuck in a story, I don't know if you saw no, that. No, I did. The Hugo Awards came out Ooh, yesterday. Yay! 
Um, so I thought I'd mention that. Absolutely. And I, which is why you didn't see it before, because I wanted to make sure I had a link to like the actual list of all the winners. Right. Um, and they, and it obviously yesterday when we were, when we were recording this, it would have been um, August 20th. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I should say. Um, so this year was a little controversial because for the second year in a row, they've had people try to game the system by uh, nominating, like, in a block of, of nominees, books that they think should be on there. And some of them were uh, not books that are, in, like, pushing a particular agenda mm-hmm. and not necessarily going for the spirit of what the actual awards yeah. were. But this year... Um, the the Hugo for best novel was won by the fifth season by N. K. Jemison, which I have not read, but Ooh, I heard really good I things love about. N. K. Jemison's novels. <laughs> I read a couple of them, and they're really good. And um, let's see, I think that there were uh, the Andy Weir or The Martian by oh, Andy Weir. I hope so. That one. The John W. Campbell Award, which is for, like, debut writers. Mm-hmm. And he got an astronaut to accept the, the award on his behalf. And an astronaut accept the, accepted the award for The Martian, the movie, which won Best <laughs> Long-Form Dramatic Presentation. Awesome. And so, like, there, there should be a link at some point to, like, an archive of the, the Hugo Awards ceremony live stream that they did and I got to listen to that when it aired I missed some of it but um like I got to hear a lot of it and it was really really pretty good wonderful so yeah for that. Hugo Awards cool um let's now at last talk about the book that we read for the month this was your pick it was yes. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luce. So let's go. You go. Why don't you go first and talk about what you thought about it since it was okay. your pick? I really like this book because um, I I think that her her satire is just really vicious, and and mm. maybe that doesn't make me a very nice person, but I liked that. Um, I I loved that in her intro she talks about like the the purpose or the reason she wrote the book was just kind of like she was sitting there watching this like vapid woman you know just be like oh I can't do anything you know and getting all these men to do what like things for her and you know meanwhile she's like she's not doing that and people are just kind of ignoring her um and so you know she kind of wrote the 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 book as as a response to that and didn't really expect it to get as much traction as it did um, I was amused by the fact that she said that, like, and they translated it into Russian and, like, took <laughs> out all the funny parts, and it and it basically turned into a really bleak story about this terrible woman that ended up, like, married to this horrible person and ultimately unhappy. Yes. <laughs> and that, that made me, made me laugh. I mean, I read it in college, and I think that, um, I, I didn't like it as much this time around, although I still liked it a lot because, and I think that that's because when I read it in college, it, I, it wasn't on Bard, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my sister had to read it to me and Ooh. she got so into it and she would, she would start to giggle <laughs> as she was reading bits of it and then she couldn't stop. And so <laughs> she'd be like reading this stuff like through giggles and it just uh-huh. like, 
it, like, obviously, you wouldn't have that same experience because you didn't have it read by my sister. You just had the, <laughs> the bard version, which was not nearly so charming. That's funny. <laughs> giggle, giggle. Um, yeah, so, I mean, anything, do you want to say anything else about it? Like, um, I, I mean, it's so that if you didn't read it, it's about Lorelai Lee, who is, um, from Little Rock, Arkansas, and she is in New York, and she's a bit of a gold digger. She, she wants to find a man who will buy her stuff. She's essentially a kept woman. Yes. And she runs through men, but at the same rate at which some people change their clothes. There you go. <laughs> and she's like, at one point, she and her friend Dorothy, who is awesome and who like is always saying like these horrible things, <laughs> like to her face that she doesn't realize are actually insults. Mm-hmm. Um, they decide to go on a trip through Europe. <laughs> And so they end up, like, they, they go to London, and they, they end up, like, she ends up scheming to get herself in possession of a diamond tiara that she thinks she needs to have. And then they then they go to Paris, and the, the wife of the person that, that got her that diamond tiara is rightfully offended. <laughs> but that happened, and chases after them. And then they end up in the central of Europe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where she meets with Dr. Freud, which I happen to know because my sister told me this spelled F-R-O-Y-D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who she meets with and he's like, you know, you are the most unique person I have ever met. I don't think there's anything I can do for you. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and her, her, her love life kind of continues apace and in the end she goes back to New York and the book, I mean, despite what I said about the like the Russian thing, it, it basically she finds a guy that will kind of let her <laughs> walk all over him at the end. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and and she does, you know, it, it ends relatively okay. She settles down and marries him. At least that's what we think. But you know, you're yeah. left to wonder uh, what exactly happens. Um, I just like I read the Bard version, as you said. And I thought it was hilarious. It was funny. Um, it, it gave me a headache, though, because she, she it's written in her sort of, like, uneducated, uh, conversational-like type style, as if she was thinking. And so she's putting her thoughts down on the page, which is what her uh, gentleman friend, who's trying to educate her, Mr. Eisman, I think was his name, told her yeah. to try and do. Um and so, to some extent, I get that, but there were, I mean, it was like, so, then we did this, and so, then we did that. I mean, it was just so wonderful, and so divine, and then after we did this, and this, and this, and so, it was just terrible, and I feel really depressed, because the Diamond Tiara is just not uh, the boon that I thought it was going to be, because that, I mean, you know, the sentences were just extraordinarily long and and the the number of times that the words so and and were used in uh, a sentence that probably covered a whole page was was just astounding uh now i'm used to reading long sentences because i read legal documents every day at work and i'm used to parsing them out and understanding them bit by bit but it just felt like to me it was just 
running way too fast, which I think was the intention. But there were, sure. It, well, that was the intention because she had such a busy brain, you know, and she was very frenetic and, uh, you know, scheming and, and all this. And, and I, I admire Anita Luce for that style was perfect for the book. But I, I think my problem was I was listening to it kind of fast to, to read the book. And, and after uh, a while of that, I, I really did get a headache. Like, and I wondered, I wondered too, if like, if part of the problem is that surely Barbara Caruso, who mm-hmm. narrated it for Bard, she must have seen the Marilyn Monroe movie. Must have. And, and I think that she was doing her Marilyn impression. Possibly. And um, I, because I, that is the only reason that why I would think that she would put on that like breathy. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I am from Little Rock, Arkansas, and the only reason a girl I did, like I, a girl like I, <laughs> which always made me is is here up, in New but... York is to get educated, because I think there is nothing more important than an edu- than an education. Um, and and I think Barbara Caruso, in some sense, was a good choice because she could. She's very good at voices. Um, she does a very good British voice in Rebecca. <laughs> Yes. Um, and she is very good with that. She did a very good sort of breathy sort of Southern voice for this novel. Uh, but at the same time, she's a little bit older than the type of person that I would anticipate. Yeah. It. And so it was kind of odd to me because it, you know, uh, surely it's not her fault that she's middle-aged when she's reading this book. But um, it is just very noticeable. Um, and it impacted my appreciation of it just a little bit. But I did, you know, I, I did enjoy it. I think it's not something that I want to read again. No. Uh, it's not something that really deserves. I mean, there, like you said, you read it in college and there are classes and cliff notes and questions and answers and book club things going on about it. And people write essays about it and it's assigned for college courses. And so I just don't think that it's the type of book that I, that I really would prefer to read in college. But at the same time, I can understand that, uh, you know, it, it might be good for that purpose. And never mind. And I was I was doing I one of her we, book sentences. <laughs> we read it in college because I took a class called um, women in early American cinema and mm-hmm. I did not think when I signed up for that class about how much of women in early American cinema would involve silent films oh boy I got an A in the class and I think that I got an A in the class because like the professor like I, well I think he liked me but I think that he was also <laughs> like he felt bad for me mm-hmm. about the fact that so much of what we did was silent movies Oh, so yeah. he like practically did everything but read the read the textbook for me mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as he could. Um, but he his specialty was he was writing a doctoral thesis on Anita Luce. Oh, um, okay. Who was a screenwriter uh, during the 1920s, and I thought that was the other thing that that was interesting about the book because it felt like we could, um, like you know, it was it was about like she was writing for a, a very contemporary book for a very contemporary audience, like in, in the 1920s. And so it was kind of a, it was an interesting slice of life. Mm-hmm. I thought so um, too. I, I was really impressed by, I mean, talking about the expats who lived in Europe, which I mean, that was a big thing. A lot of Americans at the right. time went over to Europe and basically got rooms at the Ritz and stayed there uh, in, in Paris or Monte Carlo or any of those other uh, sort of destinations, and they would party all the time, the Roaring Twenties. And so she talked about her quote-unquote debut party lasting for three days and how that was really tame 
But, right. you know, it was a really tame party. And I'm thinking, man, three days for a party? Like, if I go to a party, it's like for two hours and then I'm done. I cannot imagine. And the police only came once. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> the police only came one time. If we had a party like that, oh, my God, the police would have broken it up after four hours. Um, yeah, so I, I do agree that it, it offered a very interesting uh, glimpse into the contemporary life of the 20s uh, and, and had that sort of same flavor that a lot of Hemingway books have, uh, like The Sun Also Rises and... Um, which also deals with the expatriate issue. Uh, and that's the one I can think of. Uh, the book was boring, but it, it had the, some of the same, it dealt with some of the same contemporary things, themes in that book too. Um, so the next book that we are going to read, it kind of dovetails with this one. I mean, it doesn't really dovetail with it, but the author was mentioned in this book. Because, uh, you know, she's trying to get educated, so Mr. Eisman is giving her all these books. But I don't think he gave her the Joseph Conrad books. I think that was some one of her other men. <laughs> one of her right. other male friends uh, gave her a Joseph Conrad book. And we're not going to read that one because the title contains a racial slur and, and it may be offensive to some people. Uh, the book itself, I think, deals with a lot of really profound things, but we're, we're going to forego it. Uh, and read another Joseph Conrad book called Almir's Folly. Uh, which can be found on Bard, and I will just spell Almir, uh, A-L-M-Y-E-R-S. So it may be Almire's Folly. I don't know how exactly to pronounce that, uh, but it is by Joseph Conrad, and you can find it on Bard or Audible or any of the other uh, services. Um, a lot of his books are very famous, so... <laughs> Six hours long. Yeah, not too bad. Um, the other thing, uh, the other book that I thought about was... Um, the Secret Sharer, which is by Joseph Conrad. Uh, Robert Silverberg has done a science fiction adaptation of that book called The Secret Sharer. Uh, and I thought about that one, but then that would take like a little bit of explanation as to why are we reading this Robert Silverberg book. Right. So, uh, you know, this one's better. Um, it, it actually is kind of fun. If you've read the Joseph Conrad Secret Sharer and then you read the Silverberg one, it's it's really fun uh, to compare them. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd, and so I probably am the only person who's ever done that. Well, you know, that that is involved with this podcast. Uh, so <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, but I have read no Joseph Conrad, so this will be my first yeah, time. Um, we had to read Heart of Darkness in high school, which is a Joseph Conrad book. Uh, and it's probably the most well-known Joseph Conrad book next to uh, Lord Jim and the Secret Sharer. And... Um, in on Bard, the Heart of Darkness and Secret Sharer are bundled together in one edition. And another reason I didn't want to read the Secret Share, I did not want to subject people to Heart of Darkness. Uh, just we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, it, it's been made into a couple of different movies. Uh, the movie Apocalypse Now is based on Heart of Darkness. It, it takes place in the 60s in the Vietnam War, and Heart of Darkness takes place in the 1890s in the Congo. But other than that, they're pretty similar. Um, and I think there was actually a Heart of Darkness movie that was more about the book than, like, a parody of the book. Um, but I, I don't want to subject people to that boring fest. I, I thought it was the most boring thing I've ever read. Uh, and... Lord Jim, I've heard very bad things about. Like, it's also really boring. So hopefully this one's better than either one of those. Um, yes. <laughs> Joseph Conrad is a very interesting character. He took the... Well, he's not British. He's Polish. 
his name is like, I don't know, his last name's enormous. I don't remember how to pronounce it. Uh, but he was exiled to Great Britain from Poland. And he took the British naval exam. I don't know why exactly, if that he just wanted to travel the world. Uh, so a lot of his novels are based in seaside, you know, like all over the world types of locations. Uh, and apparently that naval exam was very difficult. And of course, he had this language barrier going on. So everyone is like, wow, he took the British naval exam. That's amazing for someone who didn't speak English as a first language. I'm like, well, whatever. But, you know, I have to point it out. Uh, <laughs> and then after he cool. got his naval service out of his system, then he wrote books. So um, we'll try this. And, you know, it's different from anything we have read and that a lot of the things that we do read are very modern so this will be a dip back into the classics don't blame us if it bores you to death because we didn't write it (laughs) (laughs) um our next question for the month for next month is let me repeat are you in a book club if so why or why not and you can contact us with the answer to that question as well as any other comments you want to make by emailing uh bhapodcast at gmail.com or tweeting book hoarders on Twitter. Just like Kathy did. Yeah. Kathy emailed us. Yay, Kathy. Uh, We do not think you're a stalker. We appreciate any email or tweets that we can get. (laughs) Uh, So feel free to keep on doing that. Um, And you can also contact us personally on Twitter if you like. I'm Erin Edgar on Twitter. And And Shannon. I'm at Bard Song. Yeah, and um, you can read. Uh, right now, I'm I'm blogging mostly over at Good Bad and Unread or Good Bad and Unread dot com. Wow, cool. That is that is the website. Um, I had to remember whether the and was actually part of it, but it is. Okay, <laughs> Good Bad um, and Unread dot com. And Aaron is odd. Uh, Doing the Melting Pot show on yeah, the I, dash phoenix.net yeah, every or, Sunday afternoon. Yep, or netradiogroup.com. Whichever you, whichever URL you put in there, you'll get there. Uh, the other thing, I do post an occasional Goodreads review. And if anyone wants more of my thoughts on that Nick Cutter book, stay tuned because I'm actually going to review it on Goodreads, which hasn't happened in a while. Um, in any event, happy reading. Happy episode 43, and until next time, we will simply say goodbye. Bye. To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow book hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS. 520-812-6657 and visit the website at bhapodcast.com